Hello, welcome to Scandalous Books. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Jones. Thank you for joining me to talk about Joan Ford's Tis Pity She's a Whore. If you looked at this episode earlier in the week and didn't listen to it, and now you've seems like it's a different length, that's because I decided to re-record it. I, on Monday, should probably have just gone back to bed. Um, I was not awake enough to be trying to talk about literature. My cat, who's 20 years old and therefore gets, well, she's always gotten what she wants, but more so now. Um, Monday morning started waking me up at 2 a.m. and continued waking me up almost hourly. So I was far too tired to try to be coherent. So I've decided to record this again. For the business owners and podcast hosts out there, remember when it's your show, if you want to do over, you can often have it. So take advantage of that. But on to John Ford and his pity. In the last episode on Chaucer's Canterbury Tales, we talked a bit, quite a bit about Chaucer's life. We don't know so much about Ford. Um, we know that he was educated. We know that he was a member of the M Middle Temple, which means he was practicing law. And he was not primarily a playwright, but we don't know an awful lot. We don't even know when he died. We know that he was born in 1586, and there's no trace of him after he left the Middle Temple in 1639, but we don't know when exactly he died. One source I looked at says that he died between 1639 and 1650, but there's no rationale that I could find uh, given for why 1650 is the, the latter end of that range. So we will focus on the play today, um, pretty much exclusively, to help you understand where this play is in history. Shakespeare died in 1616. The play was first published in 1633, um, so 17 years after Shakespeare died, and Charles I was on the throne, so we're talking about the Carolinian theater, uh, but the play was published 16 years before Charles was executed, so it's a funny old time in history. Um, and that does come into some of the reception issues. So the play, as I said, was first published in 1633. The title page on that publication says, and I quote, that the play was acted by the Queen's Majesty's servants at the Phoenix and Drury Lane. If you've Googled the play title, you will find that Wikipedia says that it was first acted by the Queen or by Queen Henrietta's men at the Cockpit Theater. We don't know which was the first um, staging. We know from the, the title page that it was definitely acted at the Phoenix by the Queen Majesty servants. Um, we also don't know when the first staging took place. Uh, Wikipedia has as is often the case with wikis, uh, several options. Um, it says on the sort of the first bit that comes up on Google that it was first acted in 1630. And then if you read on, it says between 1626 or 1629 and 1633. 
we don't know. If you look at more scholarly sources than Wikipedia, they just come out and say, we don't know. But agree between 1626 and 1633 would have been the first performance. That's not at all unusual for early modern plays. We don't have wonderful records for when they were first um, written down or where exactly they were acted. Uh, record keeping just wasn't what we're used to now. Um, for the students listening to this, please remember that Wikipedia is not ever an acceptable scholarly source. It's, it's crowdsourced, it's gonna have errors. That's why I always check things in more scholarly places, but I mention what the wiki says and the, the seeming disconnect from what it says on the, the title page of the first publication, because most of us, whenever we encounter a new anything, first step is to Google it and the wiki page is the first thing that comes up for Tispity. So, if you are reading the play as opposed to watching it, you will have noticed that some of the characters' lines are fairly short and other character on the page that they're, they're fairly short and uniform in length and other characters speak in what we would call normal paragraphs. That is because of a convention in early modern drama that upper class characters speak in verse or poetry. So the, the line length is governed by the, the rhythm and meter of the poetry and lower class characters speak in prose. So the line length is just governed by the space on the page, much the, the same way, way um, your line length on um, a Word document or a Google document is governed by where your margins are. So that's why you've got those differences. Um, it matters for this episode because as you will hear, I'll be using the English pronunciation of Giovanni, which has four syllables, because that's what the poetic meter requires. The Italian pronunciation is Giovanni, so only three. Uh, if you are an Italian speaker, I'm sorry, you're just gonna have to deal with the English pronunciation. If you are an English speaker, you probably weren't aware that there were two ways of pronouncing Giovanni, and you've learned something else new today. So, the play. It's got a lot going on. The whore in the title is Annabella. And the title comes from the last line of the play, which is spoken by the Cardinal. And the Cardinal basically says, yeah, Annabella was beautiful and vibrant. Tis pity she was a whore. Uh, we'll get to my take on his pronouncement on Annabella in a bit. If you haven't read the play yet, or if you've read it and you're a bit confused, that's not surprising. It's a complicated plot. I'm not going to attempt to give a detailed summary, but the main um, threads are that Giovanni and Annabella are brother and sister, and they are lovers. And over the course of the play, Annabella falls pregnant with Giovanni's child. Um, 
The play opens with Giovanni debating with the friar who was his tutor at university about his love for Annabella. The friar, as you might expect from a churchman, is trying to convince Giovanni that he should not sleep with his sister. I don't want to get into theology, but the Bible is fairly clear on that, and Western civilization has long had a taboo against incest. Um, the opening debate between Giovanni and the friar, in addition to introducing the incest plot, also introduces the other big conflict or related conflict in the play, which is between incestuous love and religious doctrine. And that is a conflict in this play because neither clearly wins or loses. You can argue that incestuous love loses because the lovers end up dead, but only because they end up dead. You can't argue that the, the church proved that their love was wrong or that they shouldn't um, have acted on it. The So we've got the, the, the friar trying to convince Giovanni not to sleep with his sister. You've got Annabella talking about this with Putana, who is her guardian, or I guess a slightly more modern term would be governess. Uh, Putana doesn't seem to have a problem with the incest. She thinks Giovanni is a fine young man. And why shouldn't Annabella sleep with him? So in a... In addition to this incest plot, you've got Giovanni and Annabella's father wanting to marry her off. That, that's what fathers do in this time period. He's a wealthy merchant. He wants his daughter to have a good marriage. She has three suitors. Sorenzo, whom she ultimately ends up marrying, who's a gentleman. Grimaldi, who is a soldier. And Brigetto, who's a bit of an idiot. She's not interested in any of the three. Grimaldi sets out to kill Sorenzo because he thinks she's actually interested in Sorenzo and that he's the, the most likely rival for her affections. He accidentally kills Brigetto instead. And this causes another problem with the church because Grimaldi goes to the Cardinal to seek um, protection. The Cardinal places him under papal protection and tells the people who turn up to object to him having committed murder, take it up with the Pope. He didn't mean to kill Brigetto, so we're not handing him over to the secular authorities. While all of that's going on, Sorenzo's got a lot going on. So he's got Grimaldi wanting to kill him, but failing to. He's wanting to marry Annabella, but he's also having an affair with Hippolyta who thinks her husband, Riccardetto, is dead, but he's not. He's hanging out sort of on the edge of the play, dressed up pretending to be a physician. He knows his wife is having an affair. Uh, he's planning to sort of reveal himself at the, the least convenient time for her. She's annoyed with Sorenzo because he wants to end the affair and marry Annabella because Annabella is younger and wealthier and hasn't been married before. Uh, 
all of this comes to a head and all of these things come together in act five where Sorenzo and Annabella are married. He realizes she's pregnant. She tells him her brother is the father. And um, Sorenzo decides he's going to gather everybody together and get rid of Giovanni by having Banditi attack the gathering and kill him. Giovanni gets wind of this and decides that he's gonna take control. He goes to see his sister. Sorenzo allows this, thinks he'll catch them in the act. While he tells Annabella what's going on, then he kills her, cuts out her heart, turns up to the gathering where everybody's brought together at the end uh, with her heart on his uh, sword, dripping blood everywhere, to uh, announce that he loved her and he can't stand to see her be with Sorenzo. Giovanni's father figures out what's been going on, dies of a broken heart, so heart attack. Hippolyta turns up, actually, sorry, just before Giovanni comes in, um, and she thinks she's gonna poison Sorenzo. Vasquez, Sorenzo's servant, manages to work things so that she accidentally poisons herself, she dies. Then Giovanni comes in with the, the heart on the, the sword and chaos ensues. The banditi attack uh, in the sort of melee, Giovanni manages to mortally wound Sorenzo. Giovanni is mortally wounded and all of the major players are dead at the end. Uh, if you're wondering what happened to Patana, she was captured by the, the banditi before this, made to confess her part in everything. They cut her eyes out and then kept her locked away uh, until everything could be brought to a conclusion. At the very end of the play, the Cardinal is talking to Riccardetto, who has revealed who he is, now that his wife is dead. And that's when the Cardinal says, that it's a pity that Annabella was a whore. Nobody in power ever criticizes Giovanni for his part in the incest. That's where I have a problem with the, the Cardinal's pronouncement that it's a pity she's a whore. It's only Annabella who is censored in any way or any effective way. Not terribly surprising. The old double standard's been around for a long time, but as a feminist, it annoys me that the Cardinal doesn't blame Giovanni at all. The, um, the play clearly censors both of them because they're both dead, but he doesn't have the, the church come down on both of them, or Ford doesn't have the church come down on both of them. If you're now thinking, but you said the friar was arguing arguing with Giovanni at the beginning. That argument is really ineffective. Giovanni keeps countering with, well, he's trying to rationalize his feelings. And whenever the friar tells him that he needs to go away and pray three times a day and hope that God helps him not want to sleep with his sister, that's just shown to be completely ineffective. Uh, 
Giovanni sort of says, I'll go pray three times a day, but I don't want to pray to your God. In Act 1, Scene 1, Giovanni says, or is asking the friar, must I not praise that beauty which, if framed anew, the gods would make a god of, if they had it here and kneel to it as I do kneel to them? So he's saying, first of all, he's talking about God's plural. Christianity, as I'm sure all of you know, is a monotheistic religion. And he's saying that if the gods were here and they saw how beautiful Annabella was, they would worship her. So why shouldn't I worship her? And he kind of continues that argument all the way through and won't listen to what the, the friar has to say. So I'm, I'm sure that it won't surprise any of you that a play that centers on an incest plot with all of these other subplots with murders and murder seeming to be condoned by the church and adultery and the church's rather weak position on Giovanni as um, a party to incest. It's caused some scandal over the years, but it didn't cause scandal at the time it was first performed. We know that because it was performed. Starting in the early modern period, up through 1968, every play that was performed on a public stage and a lot of private stages in Britain had to be submitted to the Master of the Rebels for pre-performance approval. This is official censorship. That the play was performed means that it got approval to be performed. The Carolinian stage, like the Carolinian court, was a bit indulgent. I'll be generous today. That's part of what irritated the Puritans and led to the Civil War and Charles I losing his head. Partly why the Puritans shut down all of the theaters, not just the ones showing plays about incest. The culture in the 16, late 1620s, early 1630s, though, didn't have an issue with people watching a play about incest. Obviously, it wasn't performed while all of the theaters were closed. Once they were reopened, it's got a, a checkered history. It was unstageable through the 18th and 19th century. A lot of that would have been self-censorship with uh, play producers and playhouses just realizing that you can't put on a play that's openly about incest. You can't show a brother and sister in bed together. By the, the 20th century, it starts to be revived. Um, and in the early 20th century, it's picked up by the, the French avant-garde, which makes it cool to perform again, I guess. And since the 1960s, it's been regularly performed by amateur and professional troops. That doesn't mean that it, it hasn't caused problems. It has been 
and in US schools. It doesn't, so far as I have been able to find out, seem to be a problem in UK schools. If you look at, if you search for the play in YouTube, you will find several performances by college and university uh, theater groups. For the Americans listening to this in the UK, college refers to education for 16 to 18 year olds. So what we will call the end of high school. And it doesn't seem to be an issue whenever the performances that I watched parts of don't seem to have edited anything out. So it's not causing as much trouble as you would expect a play called Tis Pity She's a Whore to cause, but it does still ruffle some feathers, especially in more conservative parts of the US. In the 20, late, late 20th, early 21st century in the UK, off the stage, it's had an interesting life. In 1997, in the pilot episode for Midsummer Murders, in the cozy murder mystery drama starring John Nettles, Tis Betty She's a Whore forms the, the basis for the episode. In the episode, DCI Tom Barnaby is investigating one murder, he ends up investigating two murders, it gets complicated. And the one of the victims calls a helpline and says, it's just like poor Annabella. Now the woman on the helpline doesn't have any context for that. Tom Barnaby doesn't have any context for it. So they start looking for who Annabella is. That's where the second victim comes in who was named Bella. She was actually named Annabella, nobody called her that. Turns out at the very end of the play that she was referencing to Spitty, she's a whore. To drive this point home for the viewer so that we catch on earlier than Tom Barnaby does, his daughter, Cully, has come home from university to learn her lines because she's playing Annabella in a production of Tis Pity, She's a Whore. And there's no, nobody questions her decision to, to play that character or to be in that play. So you've got Tis Pity as a play sort of sprinkled throughout the episode. If you're not familiar with Midsummer Murders and you're wondering why this is at all significant for this podcast, Midsummer Murders is sort of it's one of the least offensive TV dramas out there. Uh, the American equivalent would be something like Murder She Wrote. It's not a program that invites controversy. So having Tis Pity She's a Whore be at the center of Midsummer Murders makes it almost sanitizes the play. The In the episode, you do have brother-sister incest. You have a governess who knows about it. She doesn't condone it the way Putana does in the play. Uh, and you've got a doctor with a promiscuous wife. So the, the episode does borrow from the play. And at the very end, when Tom goes to see Cully on opening night, that's when he realize, realizes who 
the well, second victim, but the first victim that he's called to, why she said, it's just like poor Annabella. So on one level, tis pity in British culture is completely accepted, not at all controversial. On another level, it's still causing problems. In 2014, Transport for London banned the posters for a production of Tis Pity, She's a Whore because they said it was too overtly sexual. I will put links in the show notes so that you can see a, a news story about that and also a blog post that has the full poster. The poster shows Annabella and Giovanni in a naked embrace. They're covered by a blanket from the hips down and the way their arms are arranged all you can see are bare arms bare shoulders and some bare torso you can't even see the side of, of um, Annabella's breast but transport for London said it was too overtly sexual I personally don't think it's any more overtly sexual than most of the underwear ads I've seen on um, posters in the tube and in tube stations but I suspect part of the problem with it is that Somebody mentioned, huh? these characters are brother and sister. We can't have incest on the tube. So it is still making people uncomfortable. But on another level, it's been completely accepted and sort of incorporated into to mainstream culture. So there's a lot there. I would love to hear your thoughts on this. I will also put a link in the show notes for you to sign up for what I think I'm going to call our scandalous chats. It's just time for us to discuss the issues raised in the podcast, the text that I discuss in the podcast, and anything else related that comes up. The um, session that I had last week was great fun. We ended up talking about all sorts. So um, do come along to those. This one is still free because schedules get a bit discombobulated around Easter in the UK. So I want to give everybody a chance to, to try the scandalous chats for free. They're never going to be extremely expensive, but from the chats for Mel Flanders, on, there will be a small charge. Speaking of Mal Flanders, that's the text I'll be talking about in two weeks. It is an early novel. It's by Daniel Defoe. Mal is a funny old character. Mal isn't even her real name. We never find out her real name. She spends a lot of time in prison on death row. She or what we would now call death row. They weren't calling it that then. She prostitutes herself. She is a thief. She wants to be a gentlewoman. And she has great zest for life. She also gets married several times. There may be some overlap between husbands. So if you decide to, to read along with me, um, try to keep track of the husbands. And also, if you, you do decide to read along, be forewarned, the uh, novel doesn't have chapters. It's, Mal Flanders is not the first novel in English, but it is one of the first novels in English. 
and um, the convention to break novels up into chapters hadn't been established yet. So it can annoy 21st century readers because it, there's no clear stopping point. Uh, just make sure you have a bookmark so you can mark your place and come back to it. If you don't want to read it, there are Um, sorry, my mind went completely blank. There are audiobook versions. If you sign up to get the, the reading list and uh, resources, I will send links to the LibriVox uh, recording of Moll Flanders. It's old enough that it's in the public domain, so you don't have to have a subscription to any sort of um, audiobook service. And the there is an adaptation, I think it's by ITV. I can't, I meant to look up the, the actress's name. It's the, the actress who plays Maul is the actress who plays um, is it River Song on Doctor Who. I think that's with either David Tennant or Matt Smith as the doctor. The ITV adaptation is fairly close to the book, but as with all adaptations, you're going to miss some of the nuance and you're also going to be seeing the text through the, the eyes of the, the writers and producers. So keep that in mind if you decide to go the, the TV uh, adaptation route. Um, but if you decide not to read it at all and just come along to listen to me talk about it, that's fine too. Um, let me know what you think and I hope to see lots of you in the scandalous chats. Have a lovely week. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. As you likely know, I hold regular scandalous chats in the weeks between episodes if you want to join me to talk about the, the book I've been talking about or any of the issues raised in the podcast. These are informal chats. Don't feel that you need to have finished the book before you come to them. Uh, this is not school. Nobody's going to be checking up on whether you've done the reading. So I hope you'll join us. See the link in the show notes to uh, book a time. Talk to you soon.